1: To Locked On Fox, I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always my good friend Frank Mem and Frank. I don't really know where to go today. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a little That's bit of fun. That's not true. That's not true. We know what we're gonna talk about. We teased it yesterday. This is true, but like I I, I don't even know, because it's not a topic that necessarily excites me. Um, but we did promise that we'd talk about it, and it is something that I think gets brought up. Quite a bit. Certainly, in my mentions, I don't know about yours, so uh, we should talk about it. Marcus Thompson of the Athletic, uh, who covers the Golden State Warriors, mentioned uh, after their Christmas Day game that the Bucks and Warriors have discussed uh, some trade packages, and those trade packages are centered around the Bucks' need for help at the center position. And the way it was described was. Marcus said, multiple sources confirmed the Warriors and Milwaukee Bucks have discussed a trade. Nothing is imminent, but the Bucks are on the market for a center, and the Warriors are overstocked. The on-and-off conversations between the teams have included the Bucks inquiring about Zaza Pachulia and JaVale McGee. No doubt they've asked about Jordan Bell, but that conversation ended quickly. Duh. Um, that was my annotation uh <laughs> zaza Petrulia, who formerly played for milwaukee is going to be hard to pry from the warriors kerr feels comfortable with him and Petrulia is the warriors best defensive center against big men he has value that is hard to place as evidenced by him negating tristan thompson in the finals so um there is your context for the trade rumor i, I know a, a couple people came to us asking what's this random trade rumor and who are these people that just are it out there? So it is, it is a real trade rumor and it is something that as Marcus said, has been confirmed to him from a couple sources. So that is something that you can trust. And um, I guess I would start by saying, I don't doubt that the bucks have talked to a number of teams about centers. That seems like something they would do um, whether or not, you're a total believer in John Henson and Thon Maker and their ability to impact games at the center position, they probably could use a third guy there. Like, we've seen them have foul trouble, or we've just seen Thon kind of lose confidence, and you could tell that maybe there would be another big. Obviously, both of us kind of prefer just go with the arms at the center in those situations. But most teams do have a third center that they do feel comfortable with and comfortable using. So um, there would be something there. I don't doubt that they have talked to him about uh, JaVale and Zaza. I guess what are your your general thoughts on that rumor? And then I, I guess I suppose we can move to just kind of the greater idea of needing some help at center.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think to me this is largely a referendum on on what the Bucks want to do with Thon Maker and how he fits into in particular the short term, but but also the long term. And, um, you know, I mean, we've talked to her a bit, obviously, about how well the Bucks have played with John Henson on the court this season, even with, um, you know, the up and down play of late. The starting five is still fourth in the NBA in terms of net rating. I think they're still plus 16 points per 100. And, you know, whether John Henson is providing some secret sauce or not, I mean, I would say there's probably nothing hugely special about what Henson is doing, but obviously there's a comfort level and a familiarity with the the personnel they have, and, and it's working, right? And for, for all of Henson's shortcomings, um, they're scoring a ton. They're defending pretty well, actually, with the starting group, um, and so it's working. But Thon obviously, has not progressed since last year. And uh, obviously, you know, we talked about during the summer, this this was a really big season for Thon Maker and Malcolm Brogdon, because they showed, um, certainly... You know, Thawne flashes last year. I think Brogdon obviously showed a bit more sustained, uh, consistent play. And I think Malcolm has at least built on that this year, even though he's now coming off the bench. Um, but obviously we've talked, and I think we talked to a couple weeks ago, about about Thon and, you know, just the lack of improvement. And certainly offensively in particular, um, you know, no real noticeable growth. His three-point shot has been off. And really doesn't look confident doing pretty much anything else and doesn't offensive rebound. Just very hard for him to make an impact offensively and defensively. Um, you know, the area where we saw real promise, especially in the playoffs, just, you know, go go check out at all the bucks on Twitter. I mean, you know, Dean's been capturing a lot of the shortcomings and just sort of mental mistakes that Thon has been making and certainly the. Changing defensive philosophies probably hasn't made it easier on a young guy like him. But um, but I think the question is, you know, where are you with Thon? You know, do you think that he is a guy that you want to continue to give minutes to as as a backup center at least um, and and roll with him and, and hope that this sort of on-the-job training uh, is the thing he needs to try to get better? Because I, I think in the grand scheme of things, I mean, when you think about where the Bucks want to go in the next couple of years um, – they need somebody who's cheap to actually like be valuable and a useful rotation player. And we were talking about this before the podcast. But the remarkable thing about the Bucks right now is their last four first round picks are not giving them anything, basically. Jabari's hurt, so that's a bit of a, you know, unique circumstance. But basically, you know, your former number two over pick's been hurt for last year. Rashad Vaughn, we mentioned, has actually played better this year, but in very limited minutes and obviously hasn't shown much in his career thus far and is now not getting minutes and you know i think we'd agree he deserves minutes over deandre liggins at least but he's not getting them right now so he's giving you nothing and dj wilson this year certainly giving you nothing and not playing at all basically and we don't know what if if he ever will and so that leaves thon among those four first round picks is really the only guy that's even playing and he's obviously struggling and not really contributing so i, I think when you talk about like well what, what are you going to do with the center i don't think there's any question that right now you know trading for anybody whether it's Zaza or JaVale McGee or you know signing Andrew Bogut during a buyout, during buyout season something like that I mean I don't think there's any question that you know one of those guys is probably going to give you more than Thon is right now and can probably help you win some more games but to me the question is you know do you believe that Thon's going to start you know the, the, the kind of gears are going to start clicking a bit more effectively efficiently he's going to start making plays better going to start reading the game better um, could he be a guy that actually starts to figure stuff out and become that guy that you need you know that young player who's going to be that complimentary guy we've talked about being able to fulfill a really unique niche as a guy who can move defensively and also, you know, stretch the floor a bit. And clearly he's not that right now. But, um, you know, if you go and sign a guy for the rest of the year with the idea of that guy taking Thon's minutes or competing with him for minutes, I think that does do something to the plan of, of Thon Maker being a valuable piece for you. And obviously there's, you know, bigger trades that, you know, probably we don't want to, speculate on at this point you know like the deandre jordan's stuff that people still talk about which i think both of us are you know again not really believing is kind of in the best interest of sort of the the roster construction long term but um but to me that's really the question kind of comes down to and 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 i'm 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 really torn myself because i i mean i'm i'm watching thon i'm seeing he's not giving you anything right now of use um but i think both of us agree that you know the center position is pretty de-emphasized in the NBA at this point, point. Um, and it's not to say that Thon you couldn't be getting better minutes and and better help at that position, but I, I still think you could get a productive player out of Thon Maker at some point. And I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm every game I'm hoping we see signs of of things heading in the right direction, and we've seen kind of flashes here and there, but um, but it's tough, and I don't know. I mean, where are you with that? I know you're not, you know banging the drum for for a center move but are are you are you similarly torn on on what this means for thon because to me that's really the question here is is do you trust thon to play at all or do you basically glue him to the bench and say figure something out this summer and come back to camp and try to win a job next year
1: so essentially what we're doing right now is a segment based on my high-pitched question right like is Thonmaker an NBA player? Right? Like, that's what we're doing right now? Because that's certainly what it sounds like. And
0: I, I feel like there was some Steve Von Horn in that, uh, in that, that question right there. <laughs> uh,
1: because, I, I don't know, it, it's really tough. And it's just crazy to think how quickly, we always talk about this, how quickly NBA rosters change, how quickly NBA players change. Because before this season, I think we felt pretty good. Like... Oh, the Bucks did a nice job. They found two rookies last year that are contributing on cheap contracts and we feel positive about their ability to be I mean, even if it is just in your top 8, that's a big win that you can have two guys on rookie deals that are contributing. That is a, a just a such a big it's just such a big deal for any team trying to put together a roster. If you can get two guys that are cheap, your all of your roster construction becomes so much easier. And we spent the summer talking about, okay, well, would you trade Thon Maker and Malcolm Brogdon? And, oh, no, they both have so much value on the rookie deals. And now it's to a spot where, oh, I need to include Thon Maker to get DeAndre Jordan? I don't even know if I want DeAndre Jordan, but okay. Like, a uh, I think I'm closer to feeling that way about Thon than I am about. Oh, this is a core piece that you have to protect. This is a guy that is going to be that ideal center that can spread the floor and move his feet going forward. Like I, I, I'm closer to leaning like okay, throw him in a trade package because I'm less convinced of that now. So I, it, it's just kind of, it, it's it's kind of amazing how quickly you can you can have your opinion change on a player. And ultimately, like you said, you are still hopeful that Thon can be a contributor, that Thon can be a part of this team going forward and can be someone that during the span of his rookie contract contributes at a very cheap price. But at the same time, there is sig- significant questions about that right now. He doesn't appear to be able to handle his defensive assignments and uh, obviously we've talked about how the defense has changed and he hasn't really dealt with those adjustments very well and he just really hasn't handled his business on the defensive side and I think going into the season that was something that you thought okay maybe I have some questions about whether not he's going to be able to shoot threes consistently but at least I know that he can switch on the guys and he can move his feet and stay with point guards and and do some of that more regularly. Maybe not all the time, but at least he's got that potential, and I I feel confident about that on the defensive end. Now I'm I'm not even sure of that. So uh, he's just turned into a question mark. And, yeah, I, I think if you do take him out of the rotation and add a big that you feel more confident in, you're getting something more out of your lineup. Because right now that backup center spot is—I uh, don't want to say a void—but there's not a lot of positive there. Um, and like you said, with Henson, is he doing a ton of stuff? Great. Is he so skilled that he's clearly helping lineups? I don't know, but he's fitting in and he's allowing the Bucks to be successful when he's on the floor. And I can't say the same for Thon right now. And granted, he gets put in a lot worse situations. He typically spends some time with. DeAndre Liggins, um, which is bad for yeah. for anyone's productivity on the floor, but uh, at the same time, uh, you you have a very serious question, and it, it's it's really tough. And like you said, I I get tweets all the time about man, the Bucks are getting killed on the offensive glass. Certainly, those two games against the Bulls, I got a lot of those, but there are times. In the last month, where people like this is the reason why we need we need a better big, and I just keep thinking about the bucks and I'm like, nope, that's not something that i I really care about and I've said this before that i am not a believer that the center position is something that you spend a lot of money on that you really stick a lot of resources in, so I kind of reject that out of hand when when I hear that from bucks fans and now i'm not necessarily rethinking that position but i am willing to admit that if you do have something better than Than, you're getting more out of the center rotation
0: it, the the, the hang-up for me is the idea of giving and that's the thing when you hear like zaza mentioned like i don't think the Warriors aren't going to give zaza away right so like the idea like what do you give up for zaza Pachulia? like what is an asset that you're willing to give up for zaza Pachulia? and my first reaction is well not I'm not willing to give up an asset for Zaza. I mean, I like Zaza a lot. He's dirt cheap. You know, it, he's a great locker room guy. But um, you know, I, like the idea of and part of it too is just sort of like looking at this team right now and you know all the questions around you know what's going to happen with this coaching staff. I mean, what what are you really accomplishing this year? Um, the idea of giving up like an asset, like a future asset, like a, even a second round pick to get a guy who's like a bandage for this year alone. That's just not something I'm interested in, especially, you know, looking at the, um, yep. looking at all those previous draft picks that, that haven't panned out. I mean, I guess you could say, well, the bucks can't, you know, are wasting draft picks. You might as well trade them. Mm, no, I, 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 you know, if, if that's your philosophy, then you, you need a new front office. And obviously the bucks have basically a new front office relative to the last few years. Um, so I, I, I that's the thing that struggles I, I struggle with is you know is if there's a veteran guy who might be able to you know add a little bit of offensive talent, um, but more so just be like a solid defender, rebound a little bit um, that you can get for basically nothing, like as a buyout guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you could certainly talk me into that. Um, when it comes to actually giving up anything of value for a guy, especially you know if it's just some veteran guy that's going to probably gonna be gone next year, that I'm a lot less interested in. And you know, the other challenge too is, you know, I always am focusing on guys who are just you know on one year deals who are going to be free agents this summer because if we're talking about guys who um, you know are have longer term contracts, then that's a problem because well we've talked at length about the buck's lack of salary flexibility next summer. So the last thing you want to do is pick up some guy who, you know, has a team opt or player option, or, you know, could be around next year and who might eat into your flexibility to actually make another move this summer. So that's why I, I just kind of keep coming back to the idea of doing something very small and very much on the margins. And, you know, when, you know, if Andrew Bowie gets bought out by the Lakers, when they finally give up on their playoff, you know, aspirations, um, they've got a bunch of centers, right? like, would Bogut be willing to come here and, you know, if he plays or doesn't play, would he take that role and and just do what kind of, you know, is needed? That might be a guy that I might be interested in acquiring, right? Because, again, he's lost certainly a lot from his peak, even from a couple of years ago with the Warriors. Um, but, you know, he can screen, he can pass, which is one of those things that we saw Zaza do well with offensively. You know, Bogut is not going to score. He's not going to do anything like that. But he can pass and screen. And defensively, you know, he's still a big body and he's still a smart player who can, you know, occasionally give you some help against bigger guys, right? Like when you're playing Joel Embiid, and I know that the Lakers got lit up by Embiid in that one game in LA, but, you know, I'd rather have Bogut out there than Thon Maker trying to (laughs) to stop Joel Embiid, right? But I'm also not going to like, you know, invest $25 million a year in Gasol or DeAndre Jordan just because I think that they're going to like stop Joel Embiid or something like that because they're not. They're not going to stop Joel Embiid either. Um... So I I haven't mentioned JaVale McGee and McGee, I guess, again, if McGee is like being given away, could JaVale McGee help you more than makers right now? Yeah, I would assume so. You know, he can dunk stuff around the rim. Um, You know, he's a big body. He's active. Um, But I think we also want to be really careful about what JaVale McGee is not. And first off, I think it's always hard to really judge guys on the Warriors, especially like a big guy, because you know, and this goes for Jordan Bell as well. Like, well, what would those guys look like if they weren't playing with, you know, a great, great superstar cast of players around them where their job responsibilities are incredibly low and everybody else is worried about all the other guys on the court. And certainly McGee, I mean, a lot of his like kind of individual numbers and it's limited minutes have been, you know, efficiency numbers have been really good the past couple of years. Um, but you know, how much of that is real if he plays on a Bucks team that's gonna be playing a lot more, you know, just sort of half court and a lot more compressed and you know, he doesn't have the same <laughs> type of superstar talent around him. Um, hey, you
1: remember all those times you ran to the rim where Steph Curry was thirty five feet away and someone was covering him? Well, we have a guy that people might cover at thirty five feet his name's Chris Milton, but we're going to put him about 15 feet away from the rim. <laughs> um, we're going
0: to post him up.
1: And then you can still try to rim run. We'll see if, it, 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 I mean, see, it go. worked well in Golden State, so it could work in Milwaukee. But yeah. let, let's, just, let's just try that out, JaVale. I, yeah, yeah. I, I think it could be interesting.
0: <laughs> I think I think where McGee probably could help you is on the offensive glass. You know, he mentioned the Bucks being bad off on the offensive boards. Thon's been very bad on the offensive boards, which I think speaks to the fact that as much as he's like active, um, he's still lacking in strength. And he doesn't have good hands. So he just, you know, as hard as he might work, he's just not really getting a lot of second chance opportunities. Um, I would caution people, though, JaVale's defensive rebounding individual numbers have not been bad. But I-, I was looking on cleaningtheglass.com, great website, which we talk about all the time. And they have um, stats for like on off stats for uh, basically team rebounding, right? Which is very interesting because rebounding is one of those things that they're, you know, for the most part, guys who grab lots of rebounds tend to be guys who make your team better at grabbing rebounds, right? It's intuitive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are guys who are very good at boxing out but don't necessarily grab tons of rebounds, but they always tend to help your team grab a lot of rebounds. And a good example of that is Robin Lopez, who is is interesting. I mean, he is a, a kind of mid-tier um, candidate in the, you know, Sort of who the Bucks might target or something like that. You know, Rolo, what he makes like 14 million a year, something like that. I mean, he's not a Cadillac, he's not a buyout guy, um, but he's a guy who grabs very few defensive rebounds. Always, you know, he's never been a big defensive rebound stat guy. Good offensive rebounder. But if you look at his team's defensive rebound percentages when he's on the court, they're always way better than when he's off the court. And, you know, typically I've always heard that attributed to the fact that he's just a very good guy boxing out. And so he's not necessarily getting the rebounds himself, but he is often the guy um, you know, basically enabling other guys to get rebounds. JaVale McGee is the exact opposite it's pretty remarkable. Like what cleaning the glass does is they, they rank guys in terms of their percentile ranks. Kind of like if you guys have seen synergy stats on, on stats at NBA.com, it's sort of similar. So basically if you're the best in the league, then you're going to be in the 99th percentile. And if you look at like the impact of a guy in defensive rebound rate for his team, you know, basically if you make your team's defensive rebound rate much higher, then you're going to be in, you know, 90 something percentile. If you, hurt your team, your team is terrible at rebounding with you on the court, then you're going to be in a very low percentile. JaVale McGee, in all of his years in the NBA, has been in the bottom 10 percentile every season except for last year, which is mind-boggling and probably speaks to the fact that he has never boxed out anyone in his life. And basically <laughs> if he doesn't get a rebound, he's not helping his team get rebounds. And so that that is something to be aware of. If you think JaVale McGee is going to help the Bucks defensive rebounding issues, be aware that history suggests that is completely not the case. So, but he's with big that, and he's
1: athletic, he Frank.
0: Big, he's big and athletic, and it just goes to show that that does not always translate into good defensive rebounding. So that that is that is sort of the extent of my Javel McGee thoughts cuz I honestly don't have many and Javel doesn't have many thoughts either, I don't think, so I guess it's probably fitting.
1: Yeah, um I I I haven't really changed. I've kind of been of the of the belief that I don't really care about the Bucks' defensive rebounding uh, problem. And I sh- I shouldn't say it that way. I do care. I wish the Bucks were better at it. But I've yet to be compelled to believe that it's a problem that needs fixing in such a way that the Bucks should give up assets to fix it. If that makes any sense. It shouldn't be a priority. Would I like it to be better? Obviously. That would be great. But... I'm not here to go out of my way to make sure that it does get better. I'm not interested in giving up. Oh, I don't even know. what assets can you give up to get it? Picks, uh, Brogdon, Middleton, wh- whoever you're thinking about to get a center. I'm not interested in giving that up. So I'm, I'm unmoved at this point. Frank, does that sum up where you are at as well? I,
0: I, I would feel probably similarly, you know, it, it's, 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 not a good thing, but it's also not something that I'm actually wanting to go and, and give up assets to solve. Um, so and, I would and say I guess and-
1: one thing that I always get bothered by is it's, it's a very obvious problem. Like it's something that as you're watching a game, you can see it happening. Like you can see the Bucks struggling on the glass and it's just something that makes you makes your eyes want to bleed. like it's just like just grab a rebound and it can be really frustrating but again it's just not something that i truly believe is a huge deal in something that absolutely 100 percent needs to be fixed at the moment and the bucks need to make it a priority to fix that problem
0: yeah and i mean to give you guys a sense of so right now the bucks are 20th in defensive rebound rate so And that's actually good relative to where they usually are. Mm -hmm. Um, They're grabbing almost 77% of um, available uh, rebounds on the defensive end. And, you know, like the Warriors are actually worse. They're at 76.2%. They're 26th. The Pacers are worse. They're 28th. Um, The Cavs are worse. They're 22nd. Um, The Grizzlies are worse. They're 21st. So. It, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, um, the Clippers, DeAndre Jordan's team is worse, and Marcus' Hull's team, they're both worse, uh, ironically. Um, so it's kind of one of those things that, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Limiting second chances helps. Um, but it's also not like this is the sole thing that is going to de- de- determine whether or not you're good defensively. I mean, uh-huh. the, the Bulls are lead the league in defensive rebound rate. The Hornets are second. The Rockets, interestingly, are third. Then Blazers, Mavericks, Spurs, Heat. Nuggets, Celtics, Jazz. So obviously there are a number of very good teams in that mix, very good defensive teams, but there are also some teams that are not good at all. I mean the Mavericks are 11 and 25. You know, um, the Hornets and Bulls are, are both 12 and 22. Uh, so you know, certainly it's it's a very you know ultimately when you look at like four factors, effective field goal percentage is always by far the best indicator of whether you're going to be good offensively and defensively if you hold teams to low percentages and you shoot a high percentage yourself odds are you're going to be pretty good offensively <laughs> and defensively so um, anyway should we turn our attention to the Minnesota Timberwolves and the the bucks who are facing off on Thursday night
1: I would love to turn my attention to the Minnesota Timberwolves and off of uh, discussing bigs and how Futile their efforts have been thus far this season for the Bucks and how it could possibly be fixed by adding someone else. So instead, let's talk about the Timberwolves and they just the Timberwolves are going to be on a back to back. They pull out a crazy was it a single over yeah single overtime victory one twenty eight one twenty five over the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> And again, this is a team that plays their guys a lot, Uh, and looking (laughs) at their roster from tonight, uh, Jimmy Butler played 42 minutes, Andrew Wiggins played 42 minutes, and Taj Gibson played 40 minutes. Honestly, a little bit lower than I expected. Um, With the added bonus of overtime, I thought maybe there would be a 45 in there, Um, so... A little bit more limited, but still, guys that played a ton of minutes tonight. Uh, Jimmy Butler goes off for 39 points, 5 assists, and 4 rebounds. So he has a huge night. And this is the first look the Bucks are getting at the Timberwolves. And this is a team that's very different from last year. This is a team that's actually, you know, winning games. They're 21-13, and 13, fourth in the... Or excuse me. Now twenty-two and thirteen, uh, and fourth in the Western Conference. Their offensive rating, again, Basketball Reference rather than uh, NBA.com. Their offensive rating is fifth in the league. Their defensive rating, not very good, at twenty-fifth. Uh, but as we were talking, as we've talked about many times with the Bucks, if you're going to be bad on defense and be good on offense make sure that you're really good on offense because uh, then that way you can actually outscore those teams um, and their point of differential is positive for that reason. Uh, they are able to outscore teams. So they are averaging 112.4 per 100 possessions while giving up 110.2 per 100 possessions. So they are that uh, elite offensive team. So the Bucks are going to have their hands full. There's There's no doubt about it. And this is the the start of a stretch of really tough basketball games.
0: Yeah, and the you know we we mentioned yesterday that the um the Wolves are are in many ways sort of the you know the old Spider-Man meme uh buck and with the Bucks kind of pointing at each other team. Mm-hmm. Um they've certainly obviously won more games than the Bucks so far this season, but you mentioned sort of the the extreme splits between offense and defense um kind of similar to the Bucks, right? The Bucks are a team that you know you'd expect to be not terrible defensively, but they are terrible defensively. And you wouldn't expect them necessarily to be like that much better offensively than they are defensively. But, um, you know, just the offensive talent they have with especially their best three players, uh, even though they don't shoot a lot of threes, and the Wolves shoot even fewer threes than the Bucks do, um, there's just a lot of similarities and kind of interesting as well. Both teams, um, you know, looking at the four factors, both teams um, have been very good in terms of in the turnover department. Um, both teams turn it over very little. Um, you know, interestingly, with the Bucks losing that game against the bulls in large part due to their turnovers they're they're second in the league in terms of not turning the ball over this season they're seventh in terms of forcing turnovers and minnesota is fifth in terms of not turning it over and they're third in terms of forcing turnovers so both teams you know have been very good at terms of holding the ball the one advantage the one thing that that the wolves have done very well um is offensive rebound, which the Bucs obviously have been terrible at. So that's probably the one, you know, if you want to figure out like, what's the difference between these two teams, like why are the Wolves maybe, you know, more elite offensively than the Bucs, um, just from like a statistical kind of accounting perspective, it's probably because they do get a lot more second chances. Um, they rebound, they get 28% of their misses, they offensive rebound. Um, Bucks only 21.5%. So that's 7%, um, you know, extra second chance opportunities that uh, the Wolves are getting, that the Bucks do not. And obviously part of that is because, you know, the personnel that the Wolves play with, uh, you know, they do tend to play maybe a bit bigger than the Bucks do with Taj Gibson playing at a very high level so far this year um, and playing a lot at the four. So they, they obviously have um, maybe that might be a little bit more personnel based, but you know, Taj Taj and quarantine towns both get nearly uh, three re- three offensive rebounds per 36, Gorgie Jen right there as well. Um, so it, interesting kind of parallel because obviously these are both teams that, um, you know, have, younger pieces obviously jimmy is is what 27 turning 28 something on that order um you know he's he's much more in his prime and then you have towns and, and wiggins um and for the bucks obviously kind of a similar story um Bledsoe and and uh and middleton obviously a little older and Giannis younger Um, but Giannis obviously kind of the clear guy at this point with, especially with Towns disappointing and his defense now being a lot more under the microscope in terms of his defensive struggles. And, you know, a lot of the narrative now around Towns' defensive issues, maybe being a limiting factor for the Wolves overall. Um, That's sort of an an interesting thing because certainly, you know, a year ago, even um, a lot of people would have said, you know, Carl T. Towns is the best young player in basketball, even ahead of Giannis. And obviously, yep. um, with just how his his defense has has not materialized and also his offense this year. I mean, clearly the presence of a third you know, strong option in Jimmy Butler, who started slowly offensively, but has really been coming around of late up to close to 21 points per game now. Um, you know, it's that seems to especially be hurting Towns uh, just in terms of opportunities and. Wiggins um I don't know if Wiggins shots are actually even down this year but he's just not playing well at all shooting 30 percent from three I mean he's shooting 63 percent from the foul line I mean Wiggins can't even make free throws this year he's under 50 percent in terms of true shooting I mean his PER is below 13 his BPM is negative three um he is just you know and, and again we're, we're probably jinxing this and he's going to go off against the Bucks. but I mean he's really been just sort of like a hollow stats chucker um this year and uh Towns um you know coming off here of what was he at, like 25 points per game last year um this year just over 20 and you know again it feels like a guy who has a lot more ability offensively than than maybe they're tapping into at this point just with his ability to step out hitting nearly 40% of his threes on almost four attempts per game and just being such a lethal talented guy around the basket and in the post so um Hey man, Andrew Wiggins, keep shooting, baby. That's the, if you're the Bucks, uh, you hope that that Wiggins and, and even Butler, um, as good as Jimmy is, um, you know, he's shooting 33% from three, um, and is known to uh, maybe take some some difficult mid range shots as well. You kind of hope that those guys just keep shooting. But um, but yeah, the the certainly this this is a similar team just in terms of you know very high, very top heavy in terms of talent, guys who play tons of minutes in the starting five, and then it drops off significantly after that, and, you know, certainly there's the chicken and the egg problem with these two head coaches. I mean, I, I don't think a couple of years ago you would have said that Jason Kidd and Tom Thibodeau were in going to be, you know, sort of in similar positions where people are questioning sort of a lot of their decision-making and their inability to get their teams to play defense. Um, but certainly they share that. And obviously the minutes question, we've talked about a lot with the Bucks, but um, Thibodeau is probably the poster child. Even though the Bucks have the highest minute guy, the two of the highest minute guys in the league, um, certainly there's lots of focus as well on, on his uh, short rotations and, and playing those, those main guys, just tons and tons of minutes.
1: The confidence with which you speak about the way Andrew Wiggins will miss shots, terrifies me because i I feel like we are like two or three more jinxes away from elijah price cutting up the video of us or cutting up the video and then making sure our audio goes along with it uh, for one of his videos so uh Hopefully you're right <laughs> and he doesn't go off, but I, I'm imagining that coming back to kind of haunt us there uh, in a classic locked-on Bucks Jinx. So hopefully that isn't the case, but yeah, this is this is a team that I guess has has many of the same problems of the Bucks, but just just managed to do things better if that makes any sense, that they they are defensively challenged, they are offensively challenged, or they are very good offensively, um, but they don't seem to, to have the same problems closing sometimes, and that's something that they have had in the past, and this year they've been a little bit better in that regard. They've gotten rid of some of that in the fourth quarter, being able to finish there, uh, and Jimmy Butler, I think, helps cover for a lot of that while... You, we talk about the flaws of carl anthony towns and andrew wiggins well jimmy butler's just just kind of a badass um and you uh, but again when you look at what he does 20 points per 20.7 points per game 5.5 5 rebounds per game 4.8 assists per game those are chris middleton's numbers like the that those are the, the exact same numbers, and I would say Jimmy Butler is a better basketball player uh, than Chris Middleton, but it, it is a reminder of how talented this Bucks team is. Like he's putting up those type of numbers that look very similar to Chris Milton's. And then the Bucks have a Giannis that's putting up numbers better than Carl Anthony Towns or Andrew Wiggins. So um, that also, I think, speaks to maybe the depth of the Wolves a little bit more, that even if Jeff Teague isn't quite exactly what you want, and I would say he largely isn't, um, still 13 points per game. And it looks like, I believe he got hurt um, tonight. I need to double-check that. I think he ended up going out of tonight's game uh, with an injury. And it is a a left knee injury for Teague, MRI in the morning. Um, So maybe he won't play uh, against the Bucs. So that would I mean obviously be a blow to the T-Wolves um, but they still do have some of those other guys some of the veterans that they signed you you mentioned Taj Gibson who's been playing a ton of minutes for them Jamal Crawford who hasn't been playing as much as he would like and he's a little bit upset but still uh kind of effective there so I, I don't know just uh this this Timberwolves team is just kind of tough to get a, a read on because they they are I think flawed in, in many ways but they get wins and ultimately uh, as you are figuring out the things that are wrong with you and the things that you can do better getting wins is the most important thing and that's something that they've done
0: yeah tyus jones uh, a guy that you know we may get the tyus jones game tomorrow uh i'm I'm worried about you know wisconsin sports fans um have have an unkind history with tyus jones Uh, when from when he was at duke and um, made some very big shots uh, against Wisconsin in the national championship game a few years ago. Um, but, you know, his, his numbers are actually remarkably similar to Teague's in terms of per minute and efficiency and all that. He's almost 60% true shooting. Um, so I, I would guess if Teague's out, then Tyce Jones probably starts. Um, and you mentioned Jamal Crawford, who, um, you know, really is, you know, his best days are behind him. Um, but, He's at 55% true shooting, too. I mean, he's actually made shots this year. Um, and again, obviously, if, if T is out, you expect him to play for a bit. You just hope that you know he's not at his flailing uh, four point playmaking best, which I, I mean, Jason, no one is more afraid of his team giving up four point plays than Jason Kidd. Um, so I. <laughs> he's not going to sleep tonight. He's not yeah, sleeping Yeah, Jamal, Jamal Crawford does hold the NBA record for most career four point I think it's like like over 60 in his career or something like that. Um, most career four-point plays. Um, so Jason Kidd is going to be drawing up a game plan um, to uh, to. It, it, I, I'm I'm fascinated to see what will happen if the Bucks have like a three or four-point lead um, late in the game. Um, I'm I'm sure if, if they have a four-point lead late in the game, I'm sure they're going to be fouling intentionally um, to to prevent Jamal Crawford four-point plays. Right, that that'll be Jason Kidd's uh, latest tactic. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch. Another guy, interesting. Um, did you see that uh, that um that report that Shabazz Mohammed what what did he he turned down something like 10 million a year or something Four even for more 40 I
1: think it was
0: Yeah like some kind of big extension uh, I guess not last summer but the summer before I, I guess when he was el- to extension eligible and then um, became had was a restricted free agent last summer nobody was interested even had his qualifying offer pulled, ended up signing for basically nothing back with the Wolves. And he's always been one of those guys who, like, he actually put up, you know, some decent individual numbers, but, like, every on-off metric, every RPM metric, everything that sort of said, like, well, does this guy actually help you play basketball and win, said that he was just, like, terrible <laughs> and just, like, mm-hmm. you know, really hurt you. And this year he's been just, I mean, he's been really bad. And, again, I'm, I guess, setting us up for the Shabazz Muhammad game. Um, okay, but, uh, you know what?
1: Let's just talk about all of the things that are bad about the Timberwolves, <laughs> and then we'll have all the jinxes covered, Frank.
0: <laughs> yeah, for, for, seriously. Um, but, yeah, Shabazz Muhammad's kind of interesting. and he He's a guy that obviously was uh, selected ahead of, Famously selected ahead of Giannis, uh, so from a sliding doors perspective, um, that 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 is always going to okay. be one of those fascinating. I'm, ca- I'm
1: calling off this preview. We've gone too far. We are talking about Shabazz Muhammad. That is entirely too much detail for a game preview of, for the Timberwolves. Are you cool with that? Are we done? I'm, I'm
0: cool with it. We're done.
1: All right. Sounds good. The, that is the, that is the game preview. The Bucks have the Timberwolves tonight. Like we said, the the. St- Start of a really tough stretch of basketball for the Bucks, and also the first of a back-to-back. They go home against the Timberwolves, and then away in Oklahoma City on Friday night. So another weekend, another back-to-back for the Bucks, and uh, not one that's going to be a whole lot of fun. These are two teams that have kind of gotten it together in the Western Conference, um, and are, are putting together some wins. So it's going to be a tough one for the Bucks, uh, but that. Will be something that we can talk about after the Timberwolves game. Uh, we will talk to you after that. For Frank, I'm Eric. This has been Locked on Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow.